Hare Krishna. So I just thought I'd give a little introduction to His Holiness uh, Ritabhadra Swami. So he's a direct disciple of our founder, A.C. Bhaktivedanta Swami Srila Prabhupada. And he also, he's done many services in his uh, 43 years uh, in service to Lord Krishna in ISKCON. Um, at one point he was overseeing all the activities of the ISKCON Society in the state of Florida. Um, and he's traveled, I know all Practically most, con I think, all the continents of the world. Not Antarctica. Uh, it's not Antarctica. Okay, he's working on that. But he doesn't like cold weather. I know that for a fact. Um, but probably he's most well known in our society for his, the attention and affection that he's given uh, the ISKCON youth as they've grown up in, in Krishna consciousness. There's hundreds, if not thousands, of uh, people now, some of them in their 40s, who are greatly indebted to, to Maharaj for his, uh, his teaching, his kindness, his guidance that he's given throughout the years. Um, that's what he's very well known for. Now he spends his time between the U.S. and some far eastern countries. And uh, I can say that I'm personally uh, very indebted to Maharaj for his friendship. We've um, known each other almost, almost 40 years. And he's also very affectionate and very kind to our family and a great inspiration to our son Gopinath and so we're very very happy to have him here and to hear about uh, that he's a human being that happens to wear saffron. <laughs> Hare Krishna. Does this work Braj? This is pretty soft. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna, Krishna, Hare Hare. Oh, Hare Ram. Okay. They know the whole mantra. This is a pretty good group here. Uh, is anybody visiting for the first time today? Re please raise your hand if you're here for the first time. Thank you for coming. How did you find out? Your brother's here. Ah, you have a good brother. <laughs> okay. Anybody else here for the first time? Yes? How did you find out? Yeah, boy, we got some good brothers here. Are you related to this one? Same brother? Different brother, okay. Okay. Anybody else here for the first time? Yes? How did you come? Oh, you knew about it. Okay. Well, thank you for taking the chance to come and see what's going on here. Appreciate your trust and faith. And nothing drastic will happen in the next two hours, right? So before we begin, we always um, say a little prayer in respect and honor of our spiritual teachers. Om Ajnana Miranda Shajananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Minitam Jena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Namaom Vishnu Padaya Krishna Prasaya Bhutale Srimate Bhaktivedanta Swaminiti Namine Namaste Sarasati Deve Gauravani Pacharine Nirvasesha Sunyavadi Pashtacha Deshatarine Vanchakapa Turubhyascha Kripa Sindhubhyevacha Patijanam Pavanevyo Vaishnavevyo Namo Namaha. Um, Gopinath, some water. 
Thank you. It's good to know somebody in the audience and you can call on them. Right? Um, some of you I recognize. Huh? Has anybody in this room ever met me before? Raise your hand if you've seen me before. I know you. Yeah, yeah. Anybody? Oh, yeah, I know you. <laughs> I knew you when you, were <laughs> when you were his age, right? <laughs> yes. Anybody else? Okay, I, I can tell all my same jokes over again tonight because nobody's heard them. That's good. So the reason, um, Ananda, Ananda Vrindavan, uh, the temple president, asked me to make a theme for tonight, which I normally don't do because um, then you're stuck on a particular... Make sure my phone's off so I don't get a demerit, okay? Because it kind of like keeps me in a confined area and I'm kind of a free spirit. So, But this idea of being human and just happen to wear orange has kind of been my mantra for the last several years actually. Because a lot of times we, we lose our humanity, our human nature to the function of rules and regulations within scriptures. And we base our judgments and we base our um, lives or our actions based on a set of rules and regulations and they become more important than the human contact that is necessary for us to advance in spiritual life. Um, this human contact is essential. Uh, let's see, how do I do this? Um, thank you, Gopi. Yeah, I get a double. That's good. Okay. Most of us came to this movement because of another person. Anybody here not come to, anybody here come to the temple today without knowing without somebody telling them about the temple or without somebody inviting them to the temple? Has anybody ever done that before? Yes? You came here without no knowledge of anybody, you just popped in the door. <laughs> somebody told you about the building? Ah, there we go. The somebody. See that's my point. Somebody told you something. And so there's always a person behind it. This is my point. There's always a person behind this movement. Now, we have our founder, Acharya, his Advain Grace, A.C. Bhaktivedanta, Swami Prabhupada, who is very inviting as a person. Um, you may know the story of the history of Krishna consciousness, how it, our founder came to America in the fall, 1965, and slowly um, ended up in Pennsylvania, an odd place, Butler, Pennsylvania, due to his uh, person that sponsored his visa, but ended up in the Lower East Side of New York. And the devotees that were present there at that time all remark about the friendly and uh, special nature that Srila Prabhupada had in how he dealt with all the newcomers that were coming to the temple. At one point, he had a, um, an assistant. Uh, he, at a certain point, he had om almost, from the beginning, well, almost the beginning, after, say, the second year, when we finally figured out who he was, um, he always had an assistant to help him. So one of his assistants, at one point, was Shuti Kirti Prabhu. And so I was in Hawaii 
um, swimming for Krishna, right? You can go swimming for Krishna, is that possible? Can you do that? Swimming for Krishna? Can we do that, boys? Huh? We can go swimming for Krishna. Huh? Did we do that last summer? We went swimming for Krishna. Yeah. These are Campic Night veterans back over here. I just go like this. They know what that means, right? Huh? I got my eyes on them because I know both their parents. <laughs> and so I asked Shruti Kirti. <laughs> I asked. <laughs> their parents gave me carte blanche. You know, anyway, we won't go there. Um, I asked Shruti Kirti, I said, just envision Prabhupada in your heart and then tell me one thing that comes to mind, the first thing that comes to your mind. And he said he was the most practical person I ever met. And so a lot of times we, in our spiritual progress or in our spiritual situations, especially in an institutionalized spiritual movement, we end, to, we end up sometimes getting caught in the rules and regulations and then maybe judge people or associate with people according to the value of that uh, rule and regulation rather than to the actual need of the person. And that's why I titled this um, lecture, I'm a Human Being That Wears Orange. Because a lot of times when you see orange, it's kind of like when you go to the doctor and you see the white jacket and your blood pressure goes up. <laughs> they call that the white coat. Anybody, is there any doctors in the, in the audience here? No doc? I know there's a few doctors that usually come. Uh, white coat syndrome, right? The white coat syndrome, as soon as the doctor walks in, the blood pressure goes up and you think, it's never been that high before in my whole life, you know. And the same thing happens sometimes with sannyasis is that you see orange and all of a sudden the blood pressure goes up. Right? Or the, I gotta, I gotta sit straight comes up. Or I can't be a human being anymore. I gotta be a rules and regulations book because if I'm, Outside the rules and regulations, this Swami is really going to come down and judge me according to those rules and regulations. And so in order to mitigate or to eradicate that misconception, at least with myself, I can't speak for every Swami that wears, happens to wear saffron, but I can for my own self say that I don't do that. And to the opposite, I appreciate when it's not like that. Because I'm also a human being. And there are certain human needs that we all have. We have a need for so many things just to keep our bodies alive. But we're also, we have need for um, compassion. We have need for affection. We have need for, um, I can think of a lot of words. We, we, we all know we just, friendships and stuff like that where one has the ability to open the heart. Um, I was visiting one of the youth that I've known since they were very, very young, and I told them, wherever I go, all I see is people doing this. Jai Maharaj, Jai Maharaj, Jai Maharaj. And it's like, you never understand what's going on inside the heart because all you see is the Jai Maharaj, Jai Maharaj. And they're all nervous and... They're all thinking that. Um, I gave a class one time on vulnerability huh, in Dallas, and the, some of the problems of vulnerability are if I let myself be vulnerable in front of this person, will I be accepted or rejected because of my, the way I am? And 
I'm a TED educated fellow. <laughs> I'm not a TED fellow, I'm a TED educated fellow. Anybody know what TED is? Raise your hand. Okay, anybody know what TED is? Okay, that's where I get my education from. And I saw one on, I dropped out to join the Hare, I dropped out of college during the Hare Krishna movement, so I had to get an education somewhere, right? So I decided TED was a pretty good place. So this idea of vulnerability was there. And the vulnerability is, is that if I allow myself to be vulnerable and to open my heart and to expose myself in a particular environment, then I may be accepted or rejected by that particular environment in which I'm a part of. And that we need to avoid in spiritual life. We need to avoid that in spiritual life because it doesn't allow us to grow. There are six processes of loving exchange in the um, process of bhakti yoga. The first one is giving gifts and receiving gifts. That's the first one. The giving and receiving are the one, number one and number two. The second one is um, uh, offering prasadam, foodstuffs offered to Krishna to someone, and receiving foodstuffs offered to someone, or, or receiving foodstuffs offered by a friend. These are loving exchanges. And the third one, which is actually the middle one in the verse, is revealing one's mind in confidence and confidentially hearing someone revealing their mind to, to us in confidence. Now, the giving of a gift and the giving of prasadam, they're pretty easy to do in an innocuous way. Is that the right word, innocuous? It, you know, without too much coming out of the closet. But to reveal one's mind in confidence and to confidentially hear from another person in confidence is a very difficult thing because it puts us on the vulnerable aspect. And until we can get to this point, I looked at my wife to make sure, um, until we get to this point of being able to open the heart and understand where our heart really is, we can't begin to build upon that because it's in a spiritual position. The heart, of course, we have material desires. We all know that. We have anarthas, things that are unwanted within the heart. And in order to free ourselves from those anarthas, we must identify those anarthas. And unless we can go into the heart and understand what those anarthas are, we won't be able to work on them. Now, I gave this discussion one time in Dallas, Texas, One of my friends is a psychiatrist. I think he's listening to this lecture now. Do you have, is this piped over the world? Okay. Hi, doc. Okay. He's like, he's not, yeah, he's my doctor. He's a doctor. And um, I was explaining, he's a psychiatrist, and I was explaining that this idea of entering into the region of the heart and understanding ourselves. Because I've discovered in myself and I don't make assumptions, but I will just guess. If you make assumptions, that means you're not talking to somebody properly. You know, the four agree. In other words, if you actually speak impeccably, then someone will know exactly what's on your mind and you'll know what's on their mind. You won't have to assume what they're thinking or what they're not thinking. So our speech is very important. Therefore, we have that word prajapa. Atyaharas prajapas cha. That over-endeavoring our unnecessary gossiping talk. And so if we don't speak properly and uh, with 
impeccably or without um, honesty, with honest, honesty, then that's Prajalpa. And then what happens is that because we're not honest, we have to assume that this other person is thinking something that we're not understanding and therefore we make judgments on things which aren't true. And it goes through a whole long list of problems that can come from that. So going back to understanding and discovering ourselves in the heart is that um, when you go deep down into the heart, there's a spot where we will allow ourselves to accept ourselves, say, right here. This is where we'll allow ourselves to be. Um, but actually, we're really here. You know, it, it's the depth of our anarthas is so deep that we don't even want to talk about it to ourselves. The depth of the anartha, the depth of the unwanted things, the depth of our material entanglement is so deep that we have a fear, we have a vulnerability that if I open that up, even to myself, what will happen to me? What will happen to me? And then we have to deal with the next level of, of vulnerability, which is accepting and re being accepted or rejected. And then we have to face the shame problem, which is some people have and some people don't. But 99.99 with a little line over it have that. And so we get to this point where we go to the depth of the heart. Then we can begin working on our spiritual progress. But we only admit up to here, even to ourselves sometimes. And then to others, depending on our relationship, it's a little higher, a little less open. And the less familiar we are with people, the higher that honesty goes. And so the thing is, is that if we, can, if we really want to advance in spiritual life, we have to go to the depth of the heart, understand where we're situated in our sojourn sojourn in this material world and begin to work on those anarthas, work on those things. And I normally don't prepare much for a class, but in this um, situation I just wanted to bring out some of the uh, qualities that I know from Bhagavad Gita because I'm supposed to give a pitch for the book. This book is, it's amazing. Uh, actually, there's a verse that describes the soul as amazing. Some see it as amazing, some hear of it as amazing, some whatever of amazing, some even after hearing about it know it's amazing, can't even figure out how amazing it is. Huh? But this is, the soul is actually quite amazing, and this book really gets down into the depth of, this, of our soul, of who we really are. And so, some of the qualities that are listed here in the Bhagavad Gita, although they're in reference to knowledge or to the nature of divine activities or divine aspects, they also are connected to humanity. Um, humility and pridelessness. These are human characteristics which are appreciated by many. But how often do we find ourselves in a prideful situation in a state where we're not actually acting in true humility? So this is a human, it, although this is mentioned in the 13th chapter under the uh, aspects of knowledge, it also has to do with our hum human nature, uh, non-violent and tolerant. Um, most of you know 
that there are four animal propensities. Anybody know the four animal propensities? Raise your hand if you know the four animal propensities. If you know one, what is one? Give me one. Eating, sleeping, mating, defending. Of these four, which is the most prominent? Raise your hand if you know. Which is the most prominent? Somebody got it? De yes, defense. Defense is the most prominent. Yeah, I got a few people smiling on that when they're looking at each other, thinking, oh my God, I just defended myself yesterday. Huh? Maybe your soccer team didn't win and you called somebody out or something, I don't know. The, the, th the nature is, is that as soon as somebody even touches our false ego, which is what we identify with now, I had an amazing experience in Austin, Texas. I think the temple president is here today with his family somewhere. They were here earlier. I can't see him right now. And uh, a, a, I'm telling you, a, a five-year-old, five-year-old, four or five-year-old boy in the, after the lecture, during the question and answers, walks up from his mother on the side and comes over right in front of the audience and he says, Marge, could you please explain what ego is to me? He's like, I mean, five-year-old kids don't ask these kind of questions, right? And so I'm thinking, how do you answer a five-year-old kid and what ego is? So I thought, this is, not a, this is not a childish question. This is an adult question. So I'll answer them like an adult. So I told him that the ego is our identity, but in the material world, we have a false ego, a false identity, and the false identity is that I think I'm this material body. And so what happens is that um, when anybody even touches the surface of my misidentification of being in this particular form right now, if they just pinch it a little bit, I'll immediately react in defensive mode. Immediately react in a defensive mode. So that's, the, that's one of the problems of the, uh, the thing of uh, misidentifying ourselves to be something that we're not. Simplicity. Uh, Learning that we just this is a this is a, a quality that is desired and actually Srila Prabhupada explains um, these um, uh, words in uh, these definition of these words in the in the purports quite long and he says simplicity means that without diplomacy one should be so straightforward that they can reveal the truth even to an enemy. Anybody here able to do that? That your, your, your heart is so soft and your identity, your spiritual identity is so awakened in the heart and your false ego is so diminished or so controlled that you can simply reveal the truth to even an enemy what to speak of someone who is on your team. We can't even do it to the people that are on our team what to speak of our enemy because we're so complex in our brains We've complexed, that, that we've complexed things so much so because we're identifying with something that we're not. I have a business card, believe it or not, as a sannyasi. <laughs> I have a business card. And here's my business card. You want to hear it? Okay. I got this from the introduction. So my business card says... Ritabha Jaswami. Okay, I'm not going to do that. Okay. No, I'm, gonna, I, I'm just talking to myself because the person that designed the card is a, is a, is a, he's got a degree in, 
and computer design, and it only took him nine months to design the card. I mean, it's just like, <laughs> I could have gone down to Kinko's and got it done in five minutes, but it, anyway, that's another thing. It took six months after that to get it printed, so it was like an 18-month project. Anyway, so in this Bhagavad Gita introduction, Srila Prabhupada, 20 after? Is it that stop or is that go? Okay. Your husband said at least 40 minutes after. Okay. Just what is... So Srila Prabhupada in the Bhagavad Gita, he asks a question in the introduction to the Gita. He says, just what is the Bhagavad Gita? And so to answer that question, he says, the purpose of the Bhagavad Gita. Just like if I asked you, what, what is this? You'd say it's a chair. You wouldn't say, well, this is, a, this is an object that helps people sit down. You wouldn't give the purpose of, of what this is. You would just tell me it's a chair. Just say, what is Bhagavad Gita? It's a book. It's a book of spiritual knowledge, right? So Prabhupada begins by defining the purpose of the Gita. He says, the purpose of the Gita is to deliver mankind from the nations of material existence. Every man is in, is in difficulty in so many ways, as Arjuna was also in difficulty in having to fight the battle of Kurukshetra. Arjuna surrendered unto Sri Krishna, and consequently this Gita was spoken. Not only Arjuna, but every one of us is full of anxieties because of this material existence. So here's the back of my business card. You ready for the back of my business card? Our very existence is in the atmosphere of non-existence. Our existence is eternal. But so, how much, oops, I went missed the line. Our, our very existence is in the atmosphere of non-existence. We're not meant to be threatened by non-existence because our existence is eternal. So I put that on the back of my business card that we're in an atmosphere, we're, we're, in a, we're in the wrong atmosphere right now, is what I'm trying to get to. And in order to get out of that, out of that entanglement of the material world, we really have to understand who we are and where we are within this material world. And when we do that, and we begin to work on that process through the, through the program of devotional service, then we can slowly but surely eradicate all the different unwanted things in the heart. Cleanliness, steadiness, self-control, renunciation, uh, absence of false ego. If you take a look and you humanize these things, we can. See, this is what I'm trying to do today, just to show you that these the context of this knowledge that's given in the Bhagavad Gita allows us to understand ourselves within this material world, incarcerated, tough word, right? Incarcerated within this material body and how to adjust this material body, adjust the consciousness, our consciousness, so that we can free ourselves from this misconception. Because these are the aspects of knowledge, but they also are aspects of our reality in this world as human beings. And in order to come out of that, we need to identify with these things. So I'll, di I'll just go to another section of the Gita, just so to give you another um, little taste, because the 16th chapter, actually one of my friends 
says that whenever he reads the 16th chapter of the Bhagavad Gita, he really resonates with it. Not the first three verses, but the following 21 verses after that. Uh, Divine and demoniac, the first three are about divine, and the the next 21, well, actually, the next uh, 18, and then the way to get rid of those things are there. Fearlessness, purification of existence, charity, self-control. Um, austerity, simplicity again, nonviolence, truthfulness, freedom from anger, freedom from anger. These are the divine qualities that we are aspiring for. Um, modesty, modesty in our actions, modesty in our dress, modesty in our, our, our lives, in our, in our work situation. Um, anybody here know Radhanath Mars? Have you ever heard of Radhanath Mars? You know, he's been here before, right? Radhanath Mars gave a discussion one time on, on YouTube or whatever you call that. And he said, um, we, should earn our, we should earn with integrity and we should spend with compassion. Now, a lot of us, when I, when I said earn with integrity, what did you think of? Money? You know, our, our earnings? But what, we earn a lot of things. We earn a lot. We earn a lot of things. We earn we we earn things with integrity, like relationships, like friendships, like our actions and stuff. These are all things that we earn, and then with compassion, that which we have gained through this spiritual process, we share with others. We share that with others. So. Before I gave this class, I was visiting some friends, and it was described that they were requesting me to give a class on forgiveness, but we'll save that one for another day. Um, there's a very, very educated way to teach you all um, the process of forgiveness, but forgiveness begins with ourselves, so we have to forgive ourselves for coming into this material world, understand that we're in w within this human society and how we need to perform or to behave and to understand that to free ourselves from all these difficulties that we find ourselves in. Ananda. So now we have time for questions. Uh, we have one question here, then we'll go back and forth, okay? So, we'll, oops, we'll start over here. Oh, boy. Hare Krishna Maharaj. Hare Krishna. You mentioned... You mentioned beginning of the class that uh, uh, sannyasi also human and they want some friendship, love and compassion. And my question is because I was understanding about sannyasi totally differently always. I was thinking what is a business for sannyasis to get compassion from other people? Because my, I, I always understood that sannyasis are fully dependent on Krishna. They are fully dependent on Krishna. Mm -hmm. If Krishna desires um, to give some friendship or love, they will get it. Otherwise, they don't care about you know getting friendship or, or not friendship because what is the business for them getting some kind of friendship in a material world? Yeah. Okay. I can answer that question. Very good question. Um, yeah. Maybe you could repeat the question. The question is. If if I'm if I'm actually a sannyasi, what do I need? Material friendship or material compassion or anything on the material side? 
because I'm supposed to be totally 100% connected with Krishna. Because I don't, I consider you a friend and I'm not going to be fearful of vulnerability, I will personally tell you that I am not constantly in touch with Krishna. And therefore, I'm a human that wears orange. And I'm progressing from day by day by day. And um, to be without friendship um, and compassion, just like my friends, I mean, I have a lot of friends. And actually, I, I learned this from Tamal Krishna Maharaj. I actually did it before, but I really learned it from Tamal Krishna Maharaj. And that is that you select some group of people in your life and that have your best. They may not be exactly aligned with your way of thinking, but they're aligned with you in the fact that they have your best interest at heart. And therefore you associate with those people because those are the kind of people that can tell you how and where you need to improve. Now, according, if you read the Bhagavad Gita, which I hope you do, I hope you have, and I hope you continue to do. If you read two pages a day, it, you read it every year, by the way. You read four pages a day, you read it twice a year. Do the math, okay? Two page, uh, this is what I tell Mary whenever I, I do a wedding. I always give a, I sign the Bhagavad Gita on behalf of Srila Prabhupada. I wish you the best in your marriage. If you, if you re sit and read two pages a day together, you'll read this Bhagavad Gita once a year. And after um, 15 years, when you have teenagers and they're telling you the facts of life, you'll know how to handle them. Because teenagers always tell their parents the facts of life. Right? I'm seeing a lot of parents with wide eyes right now. And so the idea is, um, sannyasis are always with Krishna. Actually, um, I can say that I'm fairly Krishna conscious. I'm chanting most of the day or serving Krishna somewhere or another during the day. And so I'm connected to Krishna all the time in that sense. Um, but at the same time, um, I won't say that I'm a 100% pure devotee and I'm seeing the gopis dancing and playing with Krishna and stuff like that. I'm trying to make this answer quick so I can answer another question, but I'm just going to tell one story because in 1968, there's a, there was a, uh, I didn't even know how they had this tape recorder along with Prabhupada in Stowe Park, which is part, Stowe Park, part of Golden Gate Park in, in San Francisco, I think. And so they were asking Srila Prabhupada, Srila Prabhupada, what's the vision of a pure devotee? And this is back in the 60s, you know, this is in the height of the, the 60s. And so they're asking Prabhupada, are you, is a pure devotee, is he seen like the gopis and the cowherd boys playing with Krishna? Or is, is he seen like a kaleidoscope of super souls everywhere? You know, like what's the, what's the vision of a pure devotee? And Prabhupada said, no, it's not like that. He said, he said, I think if I remember right, I think he used the example of his glasses or his watch. But I'll use the example of my phone because my phone's sitting there. Just like he says... It's the vision of the pure devotee is like if I walk out of the room and say there's a few gentlemen and they're sitting here, notice that I forget my phone. 
they'll see the phone and they'll say, Maharaj, you forgot your phone, isn't it? You'll tell me that you'll see the phone, you'll say, Maharaj, you forgot your phone. But that's not me. I'm just, I'm just a caretaker or the owner. I'm the owner of that phone. I'm the, it belongs to, you know, tech, okay, everything belongs to Krishna. But this phone is given to me by Brahmatirtha and it's my phone. So you see me in the phone. Now, you don't just see the phone, you see me within the phone. Or just like if I take my glasses off and I leave my glasses here, you'll say, Maharaj, you, you forgot your glasses. What these, this is just a material object. It, but because they're on my head and they're, they, you know they're mine, you identify them with me. So Prabhupada said, in the same way, whatever a pure devotee sees, he sees it in connection to Krishna. If it's a tree, a bird, a piece of grass, you know, anything and everything, he sees it in relation to Krishna because he knows that Krishna is the owner and controller of everything. And therefore, he's never separated from Krishna. So in that sense, we're never separated from Krishna because we are in that way. Now, if you study a little bit more, when you get into this, some of these uh, verses in that 13th chapter, one of the things is fearlessness. And fearlessness is meant for sannyas. The sannyas is never, he has no fear because he knows he's always under the protection of Krishna. And he knows he's never alone. So I know I'm never alone even though, because if, if you're alone, Krishna's within the heart, so you're never really alone. But to prog progress and progress in Krishna consciousness, Srila Prabhupada explains in the fourth canto of the Bhagavatam that if you think you can do it on your own, you're hallucinating. You have to have help in order to advance in spiritual life. So on your own, it's more difficult. And so therefore we need friendship. We need compassion from our friends in order to help us advance in spiritual life. And just because we're wearing orange doesn't make us any different. Now some sannyasis may be different. I'm not going to speak for all. I can only speak for myself. And so that's my answer. My answer is, is that it's there. It's true. But I don't want to live in a vacuum. I want to, I want to be a person. I, I, want, I, I want to know you. I want to understand where you're at. I want to understand your heart. I want you to understand my heart. And in order to do that, we have to have communication skills that go beyond you thinking that I'm something that I'm not. And so I have to impeccably speak uh, so that you'll understand. So that way we can move forward in our relationship and move forward and closer to Prabhupada and closer to Krishna and advance in spiritual life. And that takes a little honesty. Does that help? Ananda, you have another? I'm always afraid when they pass the microphones to the audience because they may be louder than me and I can never... My loudness over-defeats them sometimes. <laughs> I think you may have to turn it on. Hi, Krishna. Well, how are you, Krishna? Now it's working. Sorry. Uh, thank you. Really nice class. Um, I wanted to ask, when you talked a little bit about... Uh, going into the heart space to look at one's anatas or unwanted um, desires or stuff as we practice, um, the more that we practice, you, you almost kind of looking in a mirror and, um, and, it, and it does make one very vulnerable. Um, I often think to myself when I'm practicing and stuff comes up, it's, 
It is scary, but the, the bigger question that I have is, um, don't really know what to do with them when they come up and I see them, because, um, or may talk to other devotees, friends, but sometimes there just isn't a solution other than keep practicing, quote yeah. unquote. And right. um, I, I'm, I'm always at like a loss on knowing, well, will it just go away? How does one actually, when you really go deep and you recognize we have these deep anatas of how to, to actually practically in a human embodied way deal with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And we've seen so many times in the movement or as practitioners on spiritual paths, people, they stray away or, you know, different things come up through their practice okay. so that if yeah. you just smush it, even right. though you know it's there, right. even though you know it's there, it's not denying it, but what do you do with it once right. you even okay. recognize it? Okay, so I can, I can answer that. Um, I'll try. Um, and um, recognition is a very important thing, to recognize it. And honesty, again, we're going to go back to the honest level. And again, I'm going to step on, on, the, on the, the word forgiveness. And I, I've often said, and I don't know why I've said this, because I never read it, I don't remember ever reading it, but then I heard Radhanath Maharaj give a lecture and said the same thing, so I said, okay, it must be bona fide, because Radhanath Maharaj says it also, that forgiveness begins with oneself. And so when, when, when these deep, dark anarthas that one desires to understand so that they can work on them, reveals themselves, then we, to ourselves, we can, we, can, we can say, Krishna has forgiven me. Krishna will forgive me for no matter what. Krishna is my best friend. Bhaktaram, Jagatapashna, he's the best friend of every living entity. And he, has, he will forgive me no matter what I've done. He's accompanying me, no matter, even if you come in the form of a amoeba, Right? A protozoa. Maybe you're in the most simple form of life. You've fallen so far that you're fo so distant from the Supreme Lord that He still accompanies us. So the Krishna's level of forgiveness is very, very deep. And so what we can say to ourselves is that, okay, I have to forgive myself for coming into this material world because Krishna's forgiven me. And because of that forgiveness, I can see what this is. And then we analyze it. Because if you read the Bhagavad Gita, you'll understand that the process of devotional service and the analytical study of the material energy are equal because they both lead to the same goal. And Krishna says that one who thinks that the analytical study of material nature and the bhakti yoga are different is not actually isn't seeing correctly. Because if we do that, then we're seeing correctly. So we can see it. And say, for example, it's anger then one can learn, you know, go to anger management courses or something, whatever, whatever it may take. In other words, uh, whatever is available in this world, we can utilize to advance our spiritual life. Um, I give this example to many people um, who have maybe some uh, um, emotional, emotional struggles or mental struggles or something like that because there was a time... Giri Raj Swami. Anybody here know Giri Raj Maharaj? Yeah. Get a few people. Nice. What a gem. Anyway, um, he was in Bombay with Prabhupada 
and there was one girl that was a devotee, and somehow or another she had some kind of psychological um, disturbance, and she thought, some kind of paranoia, and she thought that someone was going to poison her. So she would never, you know, she would never eat anything anywhere. She only eat out of the trash bin or the garbage can because she thought that's the only way nobody will ever figure out that I'm eating out of garbage cans and I won't get poisoned that way. So her father was very concerned that his daughter was, what do they call, you know, paranoid, schizophrenic, or whatever that is. I'm not a doctor on that level. And so some devotees were saying, yes, she should go, and some devotees were saying, no, she shouldn't go, and some, yes, and no, and yeah. you know how devotees are, they all have opinions. Um, <laughs> I got a temple president that least appreciated that one. <laughs> and so somehow or another, Gary Radhaswamy ended up in a, like, a, like a small un, unofficial darshan in Prabhupada's room in Bombay, and this girl's problem came up. And Prabhupada said, oh, yes, I know her. She's a devotee. If your arm is broken, you should go to the, arm, the, uh, the bone doctor. If your b brain is broken, you should go to the brain doctor. If your heart is broken, you should go to a heart doctor. Whatever. You, you know. So in other words, my point here is that it's not, it's not against the rules to utilize those things in the material world which will benefit us to advance spiritually, take advantage of them. So say, for example, you have problems with anger, Understand, uh, read about it, understand it, where it comes from. Of course, we know, karma esha, kota esha, rajaguna samud bhavaha, that anger comes from unfulfilled desires. So we have to check what is our unfulfilled desire and how can I dovetail that desire in the service of Krishna. So vishaya vinivartante nirahara shidehinam, that even though I'm restricted from the sense, the sense enjoyment and the taste is remaining in my heart, and I'm becoming, because of that desire, and it's not being fulfilled, I'm becoming angry. And therefore, how am I going to get that padam jistan devarti? How am I going to get that higher taste? Well, it's in that verse by just taking those same senses and engaging them in the service of Krishna, they'll become, you'll get a sense of satisfaction. And it'll go away. So that's just a simple made-up analogy of how to go through that. And so that's what I say. I say we under, that we, th we thank Krishna with gratitude in our heart. Thank you for revealing that to me, Krishna. You're so kind. You're so wonderful that even though I'm in this position, you've allowed me to understand one of my faults that brought me into this material world. And so I'm so grateful to you and grateful that you allow me to like understand you and to move forward. So there's a way to use things in a positive sense. Rather than dragging yourself down, we can build ourselves up into a a positive experience of uh, growing in Krishna consciousness. Is that okay? Okay. That's what I do. Anyway. I love that last, a, a positive experience of growing in Krishna consciousness. Yeah, yeah. That was thank wonderful. you. Please, um, thank you, Ritavta Jaswami.